First John 2, so we're going to be in uh, 1827. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. So obviously there's a repeating word. What is it? Abide. Abide, 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 abide. Uh, meno in Greek, and I'll talk about that word. John uses that word quite a bit. He uses it in John's gospel. He uses it in his letters. The title of my sermon, my teaching, in light of the time, Abide. In light of the time, abide. And the key to living as God's people, his kingdom people, in a world that is opposed to King Jesus is abiding by the Spirit. Okay, is the world opposed to us? Does the world love our King? No. Are, are the values of this world and the values of God's kingdom, are they in line or are they contrary to one another? It's obviously the latter. So, I mean, what do we do in a world that's opposed to us, that hates our King? We we abide. We abide. Um, I feel like this was fitting, this illustration, because yesterday was Halloween or Reformation Day. Um, but I remember when I was probably seven or eight, my dad took me to one of those really, man, just graphic haunted houses. You know what I'm talking about? Like where it's just, it's like a horror movie. And I was terrified. I don't know what my dad was thinking, but he took me and... Uh, Man, I, I, it was, I was of the age where I'm like, is this real? Like, they had chainsaws. And I'm like, is this real? And I was screaming. My dad's a big guy. I mean, to this day, he's older now, obviously. But uh, I remember my dad, he's got like the Magnum PI mustache, which obviously I did not inherit. But, uh, and he was just always a really big, muscular guy, like 6'4". And so I jumped into his arms. And he carried me through the haunted house. And as soon as my dad grabbed me and had me, and I was abiding in him, I knew I'd be fine. It was like instant relief. And that's a small picture of what the gospel provides for us. We abide in our king. We hold on to him. That word meno, the word to abide, means to basically depend upon for life and sustenance. It's an agricultural term. And again, Jesus uses it in John 15, right? The vine and the branches. I mean, think about that relationship. If you sever the branch from the vine, what happens? It dies. It withers and dies. It's not going to make it. And so the branch depends upon the vine for life and sustenance. 
in the same way we're dependent upon the Lord for life, for spiritual sustenance. Um, read our passage. Again, context is so important. You know, last week, and again, if you're like me, what did we talk about last week? A whole week's gone by. Babies have been sick. Uh, you know, bills have been paid. Work's happened. What was last week? Well, to help you, we talked about the two kingdoms, right? There's the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. And I made the point that each kingdom is, I guess the best word would be associated by or represented by uh, contrary beliefs and behaviors, right? And so if you belong to the kingdom of darkness, there's beliefs and behaviors that go with that kingdom. And if you belong to the kingdom of God, there's beliefs and behaviors that go with that kingdom, right? If Jesus is your king and you, you trust in Jesus, John says you're going to live differently. You're going to love him. You're going to love your fellow believer. Now, if you don't believe that Jesus is king, you're going to live a different way, right? And so your beliefs and behaviors really show what kingdom that you belong to. Um, so just remember that because we're going to look more closely now at the behaviors that are concomitant to each kingdom, right? So the, the behaviors that are in line with the kingdom of this world versus the behaviors that are in line with the kingdom of God. Um, now, the first few verses of our passage, let me turn back. They really set the stage for the rest. And you heard some terms, the last hour, antichrist, antichrists, plural. Maybe you're thinking, I thought there was going to be one antichrist. John mentions plural, many antichrists. What's going on here? Um, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get into it. I have five points, and um, yeah, I think we'll get through it all. Point number one is beware the time. That's verse 18, beware the time. Out the gate, John says, children... It is the last hour. Now, if you heard that in a letter, I mean, what would you say? I mean, again, imagine a pastor in a small local church, a home church most likely, reads this letter from John, and they get to, there's no chapter and verses, but they get to this part in the letter, children, it's the last hour. Ah! I mean, <laughs> the last hour? What does that mean, right? It's the last hour. That sounds, that sounds scary, right? I mean, danger is imminent. Um, it's the last hour. And then he goes on, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. He really wants us to get that it's the last hour, okay? Um, so John begins by identifying the time, the last hour, which is really the final stage in salvation history preceding the last day, which I would say is the return of the king, right? So the reality of the time, the last hour, is evidenced by the presence of many antichrists. John says, you know it's the last hour because there's many antichrists. That's the last part of verse 18. Now, when we hear the phrase, last days, right? We're in the last days. Who's ever heard that phrase? Maybe recently you've heard that phrase. We're in the last days. This is probably uh, relevant for where we're at tonight. And I know many people are having those conversations. But when we hear the phrase, last days or end times, we tend to look forward toward the future. And our minds conjure up images of tribulation and the sky parting and the king returning in glory. And this is part of it, yes, but if we're to stay faithful to the biblical witness, we must look back to the first coming of Christ, for that is when the last days or last hour began. Okay, the Old Testament, again, guys, we, we got to look at the Old Testament. What is the background? What was their Bible, by the way? 
It was the OT, right? So the Old Testament used the phrase, the last days, to refer to the, are you ready, the inauguration of God's kingdom, the first coming of Christ, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of sin. So again, the Old Testament saints, they thought of, hey, the last days are going to include the coming of the king, the outpouring of the Spirit, and the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, we can say that the last days began 2,000 years ago. Are we in the last days? How long have we been in the last days? A long time. And we're waiting for the last day. Right. So the last hour or last days refer to the time between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. So we can more accurately say that we're getting closer to the last day and that we've been in the last days for some time now. That makes sense. So let's go to the Bible. I want to look at a few passages that speak of the last hour and the last days and, and pay attention to the things that are associated with the last hour in the last days, okay? So um, I've talked about this already in John on Sunday, but the hour, everybody say the hour, yeah. okay? The, good. the hour in John's gospel refers to a specific moment in John's gospel. It refers to the cross where Jesus is going to be literally lifted up, right? That is the hour in John's gospel. It's the moment of crucifixion, which John really highlights as the moment of glorification because the king's going to be lifted up. He's going to do his kingly work, which is to do what? I made sure those kids, so in, at Central today, we're in Mark 15, which is the crucifixion. Whoa, and so good. There's a kid in our church, guys. Let me just pause. I don't want to embarrass him, so I'm not going to mention who he is. There is a kid at our church. This kid is an evangelistic fool. Every week at Bible study, he brings three or four friends that are not saved. And he brought a transgender today. And I was so surprised that this little girl came that I thought was a boy. I wasn't sure. It's actually a girl. And so this girl comes, Emerson, and dude, she heard the gospel along with these three other guys. And I've seen these kids come with this kid on Wednesday nights now too. Dude, we could learn from that example. Amen? That is cool. So anyways, um, the hour in John refers to the moment of Jesus' crucifixion. Okay, so John 12, 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So the hour is the moment of his departure. When did that happen? By his death, right? And then, um, well, last days. Okay, again, last days, we tend to think of, we're in the last days. That just began. No, the last days began with the first coming of Jesus and will last until the second. So we've been in the last days, all right? So uh, Acts 2, 16 to 17. I think I put these in your handout, didn't I? Okay. Um, I always want to do that so you can go back and read these again. But in this, I'm sorry, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he's quoting, I think, Joel 2 here. And in the last days it shall be, right? So, so Peter is, is basically saying, what Joel prophesied, you're seeing fulfilled right now, okay? Um, and in the last days it shall be, and again, what's that phrase? You don't know Greek, but that's the last days, right? In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What just happened in Acts 2, day of Pentecost? Spirit's poured out. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions 
and your old man shall dream dreams. So Peter sees the event of Pentecost as fulfilling what was promised for the last days, according to Joel 2. So Pentecost is evidence that the last days have been inaugurated. So again, last days began with the first coming of Jesus and last until the second coming. Hebrews 1 and 2, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, I love Hebrews. That's going to be, Lord willing, 2026. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, there it is again, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So the writer of Hebrews argues that the time, the last days, is evidenced by the incarnation, right? God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. Can I give you a few more? Okay, thank you. 1 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. I mean, I don't know how much you've studied church history or even read Paul's letters, but was it a cakewalk for the early church? No, I mean, every day was a struggle, right? There was, again, Paul warns even in Acts 20 that there's going to come ferocious wolves from within even, right? And so on the outside, there's opposition, even on the inside. And so again, one of the evidences that the last days has begun is that God's church is going to be opposed. Was it opposed 2,000 years ago? Is it opposed today? Are we in the last days? Okay. One more. 2 Peter 3, 1-3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. So even the early church needed reminders, just like we do. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. So again, according to Paul and according to Peter, associated with the last days is opposition to God and his rule. Okay, so hope that's clear. The outpouring, let me summarize, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Messiah, and the presence of those evil forces opposed to the Messiah, which John calls the Antichrists, all indicate the last days or last hour. This is a good quote by Daniel Aiken. He writes, listen to this carefully. As the gospel spreads, so will false teaching. As Christ's missionaries go out to the nations, so will Satan's missionaries called Antichrists. We are engaged in a global conflict for the souls of men. Interestingly, there could be no antichrist if there was not a true Christ. That's good. Even their coming is a witness concerning his coming. Hmm. So the last hour is evidenced by the gospel and opposition to the gospel. Again, it wasn't just proclaimed that the gospel would go forward, but as it did, there would be what? The opposition. Um, John 15, I've often used this. Who's ever been discouraged in their evangelism? You're sharing the gospel with a friend or a, a family member, and they just slam the door in your face, maybe literally or figuratively. And it's hard. You're like, man, I mean, why can't I do this? Well, what does Jesus say in John 15? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. Okay, so you're in good company. Amen? Um, uh, I'm going to skip this little section. So within this period of salvation history, so again, the last days begin when? first coming and they'll last until okay so what we're going to see is that there's two groups two major groups during this period there are those who are for christ and there are those who are opposed to christ and again that's what the word means antichristos means opposed to christ or against christ um how are we to identify and this is a good question how are we to identify the antichrist and those who are in christ the Bible tells us, right? And that's what we're going to look at. Again, there's two kingdoms, and in those two kingdoms, there are different beliefs and behavior, all right? So in verses 19 to 27, which is, again, a big section, we have the marks and implications of life in Christ versus life outside of Christ, or put another way, the marks or implications of life in the kingdom of God versus life in the kingdom of this world. So verse 19, now, this is, now we're getting into the text, right? Man, this is tough, too. And again, remember remember the, the context, the historical context, what had happened to these churches? There had been an exodus, right? I mean, can you imagine family, even family members leaving the church, following after false teaching? And you're like, mom, dad, brothers, wife even. And then you're, you're staying behind because you realize that what they're following is, is wrong. It's not true. And John writes to those who have remained to encourage them in what they believe. Amen? Man, what a, I mean, what a difficult and emotional time. And this is what he says in verse 19. Speaking of those we're going to call the departed. They, they didn't die, but they, they left the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Why? Because they went out from us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So, not only have those who were once a part of the church embraced the Antichrist teaching, but they are now identified as Antichristos themselves, right? So to reject Christ in the gospel is to become Antichrist. It is to come under the influence of the Antichrist. Their ruler is the Antichrist, and they are committed to doing his bidding. Now, the, the term used, Antichristos, simply refers to one who is opposed to Christ in the sense of usurping his rule. Now, who does that sound like? Usurping his rule, taking his place. It sounds like Satan. And it sounds like the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. Remember what he said? If you disobey, you can become like God. You can be God. What a lie, right? It could be said that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is antichrist or being led by the spirit of the antichrist as paul says in ephesians 2 1 to 3 this refers to anyone outside of faith in christ they're in league with the evil one because they are antichrist um verse 22 who is the liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ this is the antichrist he who denies the father and the son now listen let me pause because i think this could be misunderstood this does not apply to those who maybe go to a different church. Oh, they're Antichrist. No, listen, 
that doesn't mean they've left the faith. You know, there are a lot of reasons why people leave churches today. It happens all the time. This is referring to those who leave the faith. They no longer believe that Jesus is the Christ. They reject sound biblical teaching. That's what was happening here. Remember the false teachers, there were three things. They denied that Jesus was the Messiah. They denied the incarnation that God became man in Jesus Christ. And they pushed for a loose morality. Sin doesn't matter. Right? Live how you want to live. And that, that's it. And, and those who followed after that are now what? Antichristos. You're going to learn that Greek word. It sounds like it's English counterpart, right? Antichristo, Antichrist. Again, verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That is the Antichrist. So according to John, Antichrist's belief is what? One that denies that Jesus is Messiah, right? He who denies the Father. Now, this is interesting. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So to deny that Jesus is the Christ is to deny the Father as well. Why? We'll talk about that. Um, again, so, so what are the identifying marks of uh, those who are in Christ versus those who are opposed to Christ? What have we learned so far? What was the first thing we learned in our passage? Say it again. Last hour. Last hour, right. And, and, and how do we identify those who are of Christ versus those who are opposed to Christ? What was the first thing? Okay, so those who are for and those who are against. But what is verse 8? Say it again. There's two separate kingdoms. But what are the behaviors that mark those two kingdoms and the beliefs? What was the first behavior? Abide. Yes, and what was the... What, those who left obviously didn't abide. They... What does John say? They weren't of us because they didn't remain with us. If they'd remain with us, they'd be of us. But they left. They, they left Christ. They left the true teaching. They're following the world. So they're not of us. So let me just simplify this. Again, what are the marks of those who are in Christ versus those who are against Christ? One, those who are in Christ will persevere. What does that word mean? They're going to, they're going to keep on keeping on, right? They're going to continue. They're going to keep going. They're going to keep following. Whereas those who are antichrist will not persevere, right? And what does the text tell us? They went out from us. They left us. They left us. So those who belong to the people of God are marked by perseverance. They will never abandon the faith. Amen? Man, I had such, so I'm discipling a new guy right now on Monday mornings at 7. We met for three hours on Monday. It, and we talked about all kinds of things, but this guy, I mean, he's a big Marine, and he's crying because he just desires assurance. He wants to know that he knows that he's right with Jesus. And we talked about perseverance, and we talked about the Spirit, and we talked about belief. And I just said, bro, what do you believe? Do you believe that? And this is, these are the questions I asked on Sunday. Remember this, the diagnostic questions? How do we know that our faith is trustworthy? How do we know what genuine faith is? I said, do you, and he wasn't there Sunday. So I said, do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Yeah, I do. Do you believe that he did that to save you from sin and hell? I do. Are you committed to something like a baptism? Are you, uh, are you committed to following him? I am, bro. He's crying, and I'm like, brother. I said, brother. I mean, there it is, and it was, it was sweet. It was sweet. Um, but keep believing that, and keep doing that, right? And who will help us? The Spirit. Amen. Good. So notice the movement from verse 19 to verse 20. They did not persevere, verse 19, Within verse 20, but you, so he's, he's talking about two groups here, right? The first group, those who are antichrist, did not what? 
They didn't persevere. They left. They left. But then he says in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Essentially, John is saying to the church that the basis for their perseverance is the anointing of the Holy One and their knowledge. They know Christ, they know the gospel, and they have the, the Holy Spirit. So the Bible talks about the Spirit and the gospel going hand in hand. Let me read Ephesians 1. I, I would write this down. I don't know if I have this. Do I have Ephesians 1 in your notes, 13 and 14? Man, this is a great verse. Okay, so listen to this. I do. I did. Okay. Paul says, in him you also, talking about Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, what's that? That's the gospel. When you heard the gospel, he doesn't stop there, right? Or he tells you, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the what? Ooh, it's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So again, those who left obviously didn't persevere. Those who remain will persevere because they believe that Jesus is Christ. They believe the gospel and they have the, and the spirit, according to Paul, is a guarantee that we're going to get from point A to point B. What's point B? You could say heaven. You could say eternal life with God. If you have the spirit, it's because you believe the right things about Jesus. And if you have the spirit, you will what? You will persevere. Amen? All right. Um, what else does the Spirit do? Well, we're going to talk about this on Sunday. I'm, on, I'm in John 3, guys. Nicodemus, I'm stoked. The new birth. Um, the Spirit regenerates the spiritually dead, right? So the Holy Spirit regenerates, makes alive the spiritually dead so that we can embrace the gospel in faith. Amen? Because what can the dead do? They can't do anything. So to embrace Christ, you have to be made alive by the Spirit, which happens through the preaching of the of the gospel. That's all we got to preach the gospel, right? Are people going to be brought from death to life without the gospel? Say it in Spanish. No. So let's summarize. The marks of those inside the church and outside the church. Those who belong to God's church have the Holy Spirit and they know the truth, which is the gospel. Those who do not belong to the church, they leave and they deny that Jesus is the Christ. All right? Let me skip this section. Man, there's so much here. I'm going to skip that. What are the implications of being anti-Christ versus being in Christ? Verse 23. Look at verse 23 with me. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Okay, so what are the implications here? If you reject that, if you say, you know what, I, I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What's the implication? What's the consequence? What's the effect? You don't have the Father. Whoever confesses, now if you're like, okay, what's the, okay, so that, he says that they're kind of negatively, positively, whoever confesses the Son has the, has the Father also. So what's at stake here? Eternal life, right? Those, and, and again, I mean, guys, the, the greatest privilege, and I think I'm right on this, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, the greatest privilege of being a follower of Jesus is we get to now call God Father. We've been adopted, right? We're children of God, no longer enemies. But friends, and more than friends, children of God. We can now call God Father. But if you reject Jesus as the Christ, what can you not do? There's no adoption. There's no adoption. Eternal life is at stake. Right, Tiki? So, what's at stake here? 
Those who belong to God's church have the Father because they confess the Son. Those who deny the Son do not have the Father. They are unable to relate to God as children relate to their Father. There's been no adoption. There's no relationship. Again, John 14, 6. What did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So John's point is essentially this. Those who are antichrist do not persevere, do not have the spirit, do not know the truth, are liars and remain objects of God's wrath. Those who are in Christ persevere in the faith with God's people, have the Holy Spirit, know the truth, and have communion with God. Wow. John is clear. We are in the last hour. The spirit of the Antichrist is at work. False teaching is being spread. Jesus is being denied. So what do we do? Again, imagine that you're, you're sitting down in a home. It's dark. Maybe a candle or two is lit. And you get to that line. Children, it is the last hour. If you're falling asleep, you're going to be like, wait, what? The last hour? That sounds like doom and gloom. And it's serious. It's a serious message. Listen to what he's saying. Because this is, a, this is true today as well, right? Because it's the last hour, what that means is there are real opponents to the gospel, right? The gospel is going to be opposed. Following Jesus is not going to be easy for us. So what does John say do? It was that repeated word. Abide, abide, abide. This is the most important word in John, in 1 John. This is the major theme. So let's talk about it. Abiding. Now, this is cool. This pillow got... I'm not sure what happened there. Um, this may sound confusing, but just listen here. Abiding is both active and passive, meaning it's something that we do and it's something that's done to us. Okay? So... We're called to abide in Christ, but then John's going to talk about the gospel abiding in us, in the spirit abiding in us. That's happening to us, right? But we're also called to abide. So abiding is passive and active. Let me just spoil it. Anytime this verb is used in our section, it's in the present tense in Greek, which denotes what kind of action? Continuous. So should I just abide Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? No. I mean, John is saying, Listen, bros and brohannas, children, he's saying children, my, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, abide always, abide continually. Okay, so now we're going to move quickly. Number two, point number two, this is verse 24, let the gospel abide in you. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, John writes. What does that mean? How do we let the gospel abide in us? That's strange, right? Maybe it just sounds strange to me. I know what it means, but it sounds strange. Let the let, let what you heard, which is what? What have they heard? The gospel. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. This echoes 1 John 1, 1 to 3. Remember what John says about Jesus? That which was from the beginning, which we've heard and, and touched and seen, we proclaim to you so that you may have life, right? Fellowship with us, fellowship with God. Again, John uses the present tense of this verb, so... How often should we have the gospel abiding in us? Always, continuously. And I'm going to talk about how we do that here in a moment. Um, Because again, that sounds strange. You know, I talked to a brother that I discipled the other day, and he he was very honest. He just said, "I'm, I'm tired of sinning. I'm tired of doing the same things over and over again. And I said, are you abiding? <laughs> and is the word abiding in you? He's like, what does it even mean, bro? Well, it's good that we're going to talk about this tonight. And this is what I said. And Chris, I know you've heard this as well. 
Who's ever heard the, the, the terminology, the phraseology, let the gospel be preached to you daily or preach the gospel to yourself, mm-hmm. right? I mean, again, if you talk to yourself, people might think you're strange, but we should preach the gospel to ourselves daily. What does this look like? So again, the verb to abide, what, what does it mean? I, I talked about it, meno. What's it mean? There it is. Depend upon for life. It's like a desperate, just, I'm holding on for dear life, right? Who's ever gone tubing on Rayburn? Oh my goodness. And if you have somebody crazy driving that boat, dude, I am like holding on for dear life because I don't want to go flipping off, right? You're holding on for dear life. That's abiding. But here, it's let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. How do we do that? What does it look like? It's 1 John 1, 9 paired with 1 John 2, 1 to 2. It's believing the gospel. It's believing that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. It's 1 John 2, 1 and 2, which says what? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. It's believing. Oh, let me help you. You got it? I got it. Okay. It's believing that if we've confessed our sins to Jesus, we're forgiven. It's believing that even when we do sin, we're still represented by Christ and we get his perfect righteousness. Amen? John is saying, in light of these opposing messages, in light of the spirit of the Antichrist at work in false teachers, keep remembering this good news that in Christ you're forgiven, in Christ you're righteous. Guys, listen, how do we fight sin? How do we fight false teaching? How do we persevere? By remembering the gospel. How often should we hear it? Daily, constantly. Why do we gather on Sundays and Wednesdays to hear the gospel, to sing the gospel, to be reminded of the gospel? That's how we do it, okay? So keep preaching it to yourself. I told this brother, keep preaching the gospel to yourself. One of the best ways to do that, and I met with a guy this morning, we talked about it, and we're going to start memorizing scripture together. I said, listen, bro, like, believe Psalm 119 verse 9. What does it say? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? And so memorize God's word. How do we preach the gospel to ourselves daily? Memorize the scriptures and recall them each and every day. All right. (laughs) What's the result or effect of this abiding action? Point number three. Those who have the gospel abiding in them will abide in the Son and in the Father. That's verse 24, okay? We're just moving through this carefully, verse by verse. John says, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So the result, so again, if this, then this. What's the first part? If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, what's that? What message? The gospel. Then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So the result of embracing the gospel message by faith is ongoing union and communion with both the Son and the Father. What a wonderful promise. Amen? You believe the gospel, you get the Son, you get the Father. Amen? I mean, come on, guys. Now, those in whom the gospel message remains by faith will remain in the Son and in the Father. They will persevere as opposed to the Antichrist who, what did they do? They departed, they left, right? And what was their departure related to? What did they stop believing? They stopped believing the gospel, right? They denied the very gospel message. 
that the church is built upon, right? Those in whom the true gospel abides will abide in the Son and in the Father for how long? Forever. Again, what are the marks of those who truly belong to the Lord? Continuing to trust in the gospel message and continuing to commune with God. Now, why does John word the verse the way he does? Why say, then you too, so again, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, if you keep believing the gospel, so what should we keep believing? The gospel, how do we do that? By preaching it to ourselves daily, right? So if we do that, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Why does he say that? Why does he include both the Son and the Father, I wonder? Now, we've already addressed this in detail, but again, if you're like me, you forget what you heard the week before sometimes. So let me remind us. These two are inextricably linked together. As we've already seen, to deny the Son is to forfeit the, the Father. Right? When Jesus becomes your Savior, God becomes your Father. So what is promised to those who abide in the Son and in the Father? Verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us. What? Say it again. Eternal life. That's a pretty good promise. I've heard some good promises. I've made some good promises, but this is the best promise, right? <laughs> and this is the promise that he made to us. Who's us here? Believers, right? Christians. Eternal life. What did we see last week at the end of verse 17? The world and the things of this world are passing away. What does verse 17 say? But whoever does the will of God abides how long? Forever. Forever. And what is the will of God for his people that we, what's that word? Abide. That we remain. That we continue, right? That we continue. That we keep on keeping on. Um, what did we learn in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? And you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed that message, you were what? You were sealed with the Spirit, who is the what? It's the guarantee of our possession, right? So again, you're like, man, how do I remain? By the... So this is the best analogy I've ever heard on this. Um, I like to send out cards. Maybe you've gotten a card from me. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, I'll try to remember that soon. But Christmas cards, right? We love to send Christmas cards, especially like cute little Nate. I mean, you want to send that picture out to everybody, right? Cutest little guy in the world. When you put a stamp on a card or a letter, what does it guarantee about the letter or the card? It's going gonna, it's gonna to get from point A to point B, right? That same language Paul uses. If you've trusted in, I hope, I know, we live in an imperfect world. And think, I'm like, my, my dad last year was like, I didn't get your Christmas card. I'm like, I promise we sent it, Dad. I'm sorry, I don't know what happened. Because you took me to that haunted house that time. That's probably why didn't you come. Um, but when you put a stamp on a card or a letter, it guarantees that it's going to get from A to B. That's the same language that Paul uses of the Spirit. You've been sealed or marked by the Spirit, which is the guarantee that we're going to get from here to heaven. Amen? That's good news. That's right. Pay the freight. And he did. He paid it all. We should have said that tonight. But in Christ alone was good to me. So, um, John 15, 4, again, abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, it's that desperate dependence. And according to John, this abiding will last forever. Those who trust in Jesus, who respond to the gospel, have the promise of eternal life. In sum, we summarize, and then we'll go to our second to last point. Five minutes. Okay. 
Um, the, I love this. Those within whom the gospel message has found a home. Has the gospel message found a home in your heart? I mean, you believe it. Okay, listen to this. Those within whom the gospel message has found a home will remain forever with the Son and the Father, meaning will forever have a home with the Lord. Right? So if the gospel has made its home in you, what is John saying? You will always have a home with the Lord. It's good news. I wonder why this emphasis on the Father and the Son. First John is a very Trinitarian letter, meaning what? Who's talked about? One God, but three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You cannot talk about salvation without speaking of the triune nature of God in each person within Trinities. And, and we're seeing that in 1 John. All right, this leads to the next point. Number four, the Holy Spirit abides in God's church. Verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. I'm going to stop there, I think, because that is a tough verse and I think you guys, yeah, we got four minutes. Um, I'll give you the last point, but what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to start here, and I'm going to finish up 27 and 28, and then we'll jump into the next passage. Is that okay? Okay, so point five, you can go ahead and fill in the blank. Um, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. What we're going to see, I'll, I'll go ahead and spoil it, but this is so helpful. Um, what's a sandwich? Yes, thank you. And now I want one, man. Um, oh, I love sandwiches. In in literature, right, in, in especially in the New Testament, you have what's called the sandwich structure, right? So you have a passage that will begin with a theme and end with a theme. And what's on the outside, right, what's in the middle helps us to make sense of what's on the outside. Because what's in the middle is like, that's the good stuff, right? I mean, I love bread. I love good bread. Uh, is it artesian bread? Artisan bread? How do you say it? Artesian or artisan? Either one, potato, potato. No, I don't think so. I think there's a right way to say it, and I always get it wrong. Um, I know, and I used to say that when I was in. I'm from Texas, so you know. Um, I shouldn't have said that though. That's not nice because I love being from Texas. Anyways, let the gospel abide in you. That's the first part of our letter, or our passage in our letter. Okay, so again, we're looking at what verses uh, 18 and 27. So let the gospel abide in you, and then at the end, abide in Christ. But in the middle. The Holy Spirit abides in God's church. So how do we abide in Christ? And how do we let the, the gospel abide in us? By the, by the Spirit. Spirit's key, right? How do we abide in Christ? By the, how do we let the gospel continue to abide in us? By the, by the Spirit. I'll explain how that is next week. And that'll be good. So, man, I, uh, it's rare that I don't finish a, a teaching. And it happened once when I was in Washington, when I was preaching to a youth group, and one of the guys, one of the leaders got so mad at me, like I offended him. And I'm like, listen, there are parents waiting outside to pick up kids. I, I have to stop. And uh, man, he, he was not happy. He forgave me, but I thought, man, what do I do here? I mean, you know, I, I can offend you or I can offend uh, 150 parents. It was a big youth group, and so I offended him, I guess. But are you guys okay with that? No. no, yeah, I love it. No, sorry. Let me pray. Um, 
But isn't that encouraging? I know we've heard a lot tonight. These are big passages. But again, abide, abide, abide. Why? Because we're in the the last hour, the last days, right? Um, but isn't it encouraging that that God gives us the spirit to abide? He does. We pray. I'll keep going. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel message that is about your son who lived and died and rose again to save sinners like us. And we thank you that you, by the spirit, apply that message deep into the recesses of our heart. We thank you that by your spirit there it will remain. And I thank you that you give us your word with beautiful gospel reminders. And I pray that we would hide your word in our heart. And we thank you that you give us the spirit, the spirit that shows us what the word means, the spirit that points us to Christ in the word, and the spirit that gives us the power to obey the word. And so I pray that by the spirit we would abide, that we'd have your gospel abiding in us, and that we would abide in Christ and find rest for our souls. Father, there's a lot of opposition out there in the workplace, on television, just in this, we live in a fallen world. There's a real enemy. I pray that we wouldn't forget that, but I pray that we would rest knowing that by your spirit, we will abide, we will remain, and we will persevere to the end. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to abide. Amen.